Hello there. This is Alana Mallon. And I'm Sambal Siddiqui. And this is our podcast, Women Are Here. And we are live from D.C. <laughs> I wish we were still there. <laughs> so yeah, we have a lot to talk about, including our uh, just our recent trip for the National League of Cities Conference. In Washington, D.C. It was totally fun. I had a great time. Yeah, it was pretty quick. Really quick for some people, too. Yeah, because of the storm. Yeah, so you went down this weekend. Yeah, I got there a little bit early on Friday just because I wanted to see some friends and family. And I got there on Sunday, and we got to hang out a little while, which was really cool. Yeah, we. I was so happy to have Alana. I was like, finally, my friend is here. <laughs> uh, and we were able to hang out with the Cambridge Youth Council quite a bit. Which was... I, so I have to tell you, just as a sidebar, that I listened to last week's podcast, and I think I used the word amazing 752 times. So I'm challenging myself this week to not use it even once. So do you think I can do it? I think you can do it. I don't know. <laughs> I will work on that next week because I feel like I'm going to have a lot of amazing to say this, <laughs> this podcast. All right. Yeah. So the National League of Cities happens twice a year, and it's a time when municipal governments and um, their elected leaders get to travel somewhere and see sessions and panels on different topics that are going on. Um, so one of the things we uh, talked about was we went to an affordable housing session. So that was one of the, for me, one of the more um, topical things and one of the better sessions that we went to. Yeah, I thought that was really informative. There were some other sessions on opioid use, uh, there were other things on university communities, uh, but the affordable housing one gave us some good food for thought, uh, and you'll we'll be talking about those policy orders next week. Yeah, we got some really great ideas, and we got to talk to some incredible, not amazing people, uh, and just really find out what they're doing in their cities and towns and municipalities around this issue that is affecting everybody. It's not just a Cambridge problem. It's not just a Northeast problem. There is a shortage of affordable housing across the United States of America. And some people are doing some really interesting things that, yeah, we have some things that are going in for next week. We each have something that's happening for um, next Monday night's meeting. But I think also kind of coming over the next couple of months, we'll see some of these exciting opportunities kind of unfold. Yeah. And I think it'll be great for our city to be moving forward on our commitment to work on affordable housing. And when we talk about where these communities are from, it's everywhere. You know, California, Oregon, small towns in South Carolina, in, in Florida, in Nashville. It, it was amazing to hear from uh, the uh, community leaders there and their struggle and to share um, back and forth about what our, each of our communities has been doing. Yeah, and one, one of the things that I've been finding when I travel um, with the Cambridge City Council and talking about Cambridge is that we are really sort of at the forefront of doing a lot of this affordable housing work. A lot of the things that they talk about, oh, you should set up, you should do this, and you should be setting up inclusionary zoning, and you should have an affordable housing trust, and it's like, check, check, check. Um, so we are doing a lot here in Cambridge, and we we need to be doing more, but we did get to talk to some people that are doing some innovative things. So keep an eye out for those things. Yeah, and one organization I think will be a great thought partner in the work we do is the National uh, Coalition for Low-Income Housing. I think they were somewhat on my radar, but it was great to hear from them. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I think you went to some, you went to a session that looked so boring, but you said was really fun and exciting on the, the law. The law. Yeah, it was a really 
great session from a group of lawyers about latest Supreme Court cases that are uh, could be affecting uh, cities and min- municipalities. Uh, I it was quite boring. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so if you're not a lawyer and a, a geek, it's not that exciting. But and the decisions, you know, I don't. They the Supreme Court hasn't come down on these decisions yet. But um, something that came up was social media Mm. as a public elected official. So, for example, on our city pages, if we post something and someone posts back, are we allowed to delete their comment Mm. uh, and block them, essentially? And so this decision. So like on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah, because it's our while, you know, we have personal pages, we also have our actual council pages but they're not through the city right Right. so there's this question on you know are we allowed to do that uh and so i think the lawyer there is making an argument that that city councilor page is an extension of our personal page Mm -hmm. uh, and that it's off limits to the city and we can do what we want um that's good to know yeah i was like oh you know i i have a have a policy of not blocking people uh, <laughs> even though if I want to, <laughs> but uh, they, you know, it's this question of is that a is that c- the comments are you essentially in a public forum? So it's interesting, you know. There's a, I, I'm I'm curious to see how it'll go. It's actually interesting. So I don't block anyone, and when people do comment, I kind of leave them there because I do want people to understand the ramifications of being elected and posting something and what yes. people might say. And I think if you block or hide all of those comments, you're really effectively blocking the public from understanding how difficult your job is and, and, and what, what people might say. Yeah. I'll block messages that come directly to me that are obscene. Mm, yeah. We I, both had that. Remember? Yep. Oh, oh, definitely during the campaign for sure. Not my favorite part. We would send each other pictures of, look what I got on my inbox today. <laughs> it was quite, uh, quite uh, fascinating. So yeah, that was a great session. And then you went, to one on the opiate use, right? I did. And you know what? I, it was, hmm, I'm going to use this time to talk about this. I went to a couple of sessions actually, and I was very disappointed to see that the, all of the panel members, both in the opioid um, session that I went to and one the following day, were all white men. And mm-hmm. to me, um, the National League of Cities, I mean, one of the things I liked about the conference especially was that, um, it was so diverse and there were so many elected women that were there. There were so many, you know, people of color and to walk into not just one session, but two sessions where it was being led by solely white men was very upsetting. Um, and it almost made me not want to engage. I actually left one of the sessions cause I was so distracted by it. It was very distracting. And I ended up writing a couple of fairly scathing reviews of the sessions. And I did post something on Twitter um, with a picture of five white men sitting up there um, and said, I think the tweet said something like, um, you know, I'm so disappointed about this being the makeup of the panel. And men, if you want to be allies and you're asked to be on a panel, ask who else is going to be on the panel. And if there isn't a woman or a person of color, decline the invitation and tell the convener why, because it is so important to go to a session like that and 
have the panel be very reflective of who's sitting there. And I also felt like we brought, what, 16 students down with us? To have those students go and be confronted with that, I felt like was just not, it wasn't the right message that we want to be sending to our kids at this time. Yeah, I saw your tweet and I thought, inclusion writer. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, you know, and I'm glad you called it out because I, sometimes I get tired of calling it out because I see it so much. And so it's really great to have an ally who is um, saying something about it too, because I see it so often and it, it bothers me, but it's gotten to a point where I'm like, well, yeah, this is That's just the way it this is. This is the way it is. But and I'm tired I, of saying something about it. Right. And I think we, but we need to keep our eyes on it and make sure that there could be a new way. Yeah. They're so thank you. Inclusion writer for panels. I yes, like it. I, I like I, it. We should trademark it. Okay. <laughs> just happened. Just yeah, now. You're yeah. a lawyer, right? You I, can do that. I'll do that right <laughs> after this. <laughs> Uh, but what, the last thing I'll say about the um, National League of Cities is we did get to see our police commissioner be a panelist, which was really, I mean, for our city to have somebody that was up there representing our city, and he did such a great job. And it was on, um, you know, the evolving adult use marijuana uh, legislation that is happening, not just in Massachusetts, but across the country, and sort of the the law enforcement piece. And he just kept hammering home that in the Cambridge Police Department, it has been about education and not enforcement. So really educating the public, because there are some misconceptions around, you know, everyone's like, ooh, you know, cannabis is legal, so let's just do it wherever. And so he's really had a real clear message with the officers in the Cambridge Police Department to say, it's more about educating the public about what exactly is legal and what isn't. Uh, Because the enforcement piece, he doesn't want to just be arresting people we just really wanted to be doing that education piece during this kind of transitional time. So it was really great to see him up there with some other panelists um, and really representing Cambridge. Yeah, he's amazing. I really, <laughs> amazing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking of another adjective. He's um, inspirational. Yes, he uh, is inspirational. It was really nice to be spending some time not only with him, but the other city leaders here in Cambridge, because we don't often get to really spend sort of time with them. So yeah. it was nice. And there were a lot of them, so it was great to be with them. We were also, uh, we had a lot of time with the Cambridge Youth Council, so that was a big full circle moment for me. So why don't you tell everybody what the Cambridge Youth Council is? You have your tissues ready? I Well, I <laughs> cried a lot this weekend watching you yeah. having the, your first full circle moment. So, you know, back in 2002, my friend Jessica Scotland and I, she's one of my best friends. She's a nurse practitioner now. She lives at Everett. She and I uh, were working with this woman, Mary Wong, and... Marjorie Decker as well. And we got together a Cambridge Youth Involvement Subcommittee. Uh, and that's now the Cambridge Youth Council. And so. it was out of the Kids Council at that time, right? The subcommittee of exactly. it. Exactly. It was out of the Cambridge Kids Council. So youth. the Kids Council actually had no kids on it. Exactly. So you created a youth involvement subcommittee to make sure that there was ki- a, a kids' voices in it. Yeah, youth voices in it. And we had, uh, you know, voting members as well. So you know, it was started off as like a two person thing. So you and your friend, my friend. Yeah. And then it grew to, you know, I think it is 13. Uh, Right now it's currently 13 youth members, but it's gone up to, I guess, 16, 17 youth in the past. So it really has grown and evolved. uh, And it really is thanks to, you know, the youth and also the city of Cambridge and our great, you know, we have Lace and we have Nancy Tabor who lead um, these, these students. Yeah. And so you were 
we brought those kids with us, those 13 students. They could be youth delegates, but you were part of the first group to go. Yeah, I was the first youth delegate, along with my friend Billy, to go to Nashville, Tennessee in 2003. Uh, and then we went to back to D.C. in 2005 with about four others. So I was a youth delegate as well. And I've kept that badge from that D.C. conference and I still have it. I know you sent me the picture and I think I sent I, the comment. My comment back was, I think you're a hoarder. Yeah, absolutely. I can't believe you have it. I still have it 15 years later. That's a, that's something. I think it's 15 <laughs> if I'm doing my math correct. Yeah, 2005. Yeah. No, 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 no. 13. <laughs> something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 13 years. It hasn't been too long. So we got to spend a lot of time with the, with the, um, Youth the council. youth council, and one of the things we got to do with them, well, we got to go to the African American Museum with them. Amazing, which um, you you can say amazing. I just yeah, can't. You can't. Yeah. So, I don't if if you have not been yet, it is one of the most incredible museums I've ever been to, and there's part of it that is all about history, which is down sort of in the basement area, or the sub level, I should say, and then up above is the arts and culture. So, um, it was a great. It was great to have all the kids there and really having them experience that. But we also got to have a breakfast with them. Yeah. Where? We heard a lot. We heard a lot. So they each got up and talked about what they have been working on this year. And I have a list here, and it is long that these Go for it. that these students are working on. So first of all, they have a, um, an eighth grade transitional night at the high school to make sure that the eighth graders transition well into the high school. They help out with the, the MLK Junior food drive that happens in West Cambridge for the mayor's office. They also, um, um, they mentor freshmen. So they go once a week to a homeroom and make sure that the, the freshman classes stay on, on track with their mental health. And they've also created a mental health resource page and they're making a website which, can you believe that? They also, um, in noticing the inequity on the SAT prep courses, uh, some students take a course, they get a, they have to buy one of those big books, their parents, you know, get them test prep uh, materials that a lot of kids in our school system don't have access to that. So what they've done is they've collected all of these SAT test prep books and kept them in an area of the high school where kids can access them. Um, they've put an insert into the CRLS course catalog to explain the difference between the levels of college prep, honors, and um, advanced placement, and they've translated it into multiple languages. They have worked on uh, updating the attendance policy to be a more fair and equitable, and um, they're working on microaggressions in the high school. I don't know. We've talked about before the video that the Black Student Union has put together on microaggressions. But, they, you know, they're like, look out, parents and adults. Stay out of our way. They found a woman, um, this Jenna Chandler, who is wrote Teaching While White. And they're putting together a curriculum that is going to be student-led to teach the teachers about microaggressions. Um, and then they also have a Facebook page where they are kind of cataloging all of this. It's called Cambridge Raw Perspectives. So you can follow them on Facebook. And I would definitely say that you should. It's Their voices are clear. They're loud. They are for equity. And I was so inspired by them. Yeah, I feel like a proud mom. I know. <laughs> and it's evolved so much. And, you know, some of the stuff they're working on, we were working on back then. So I'm glad that they're still such a great focus on it so shout out to the Cambridge Youth Council you guys are the future they're the future and I loved your speech to them talking about you being there back in 2003 and how it feels for you to see them now 
having so many of them still working on these real these real thorny issues of inequity right. at the high school and how proud you were to have started this program but also to now be there as a city councilor and I think for a lot of those kids looking at you and and feeling like they were in your shoes just seeing you there maybe they'll be our city councilor someday I hope so I, I hope do too. so yeah I mean I think that's what we need we need new a uh, new generation to take on uh, some of the these thorny issues that we're dealing with so more the merrier I hope we do. I hope that happens. I hope so, too. Um, and speaking of, you know, more students, we attended a breakfast this morning uh, put on by the Rotary Club of the National Honor Society. And there was tons of kids there. There were so many. It was a combination of the Cambridge Ringe Latin students and also the Community Charter of Cambridge. Is that what the name is? It's the, Ca- the Community Charter School of Cambridge, CCSC. And then Prospect Hill Charter School. Yes. Um, so there was how many kids do you think that was there? Like I think 80. 80 or 100. Yeah. So we each got to sit at a table with five students and lead a conversation about leadership and what leadership means. And um, so the questions we got to ask them were, who is one leader, past or present, you admire and why? And uh, I think people had some really interest. I'll have you tell me what your your thoughts about your table. But my students had a really interesting answer. Oh, yeah. What did they say? Well, I was, so I started off by saying that um, Shirley Chisholm Mm. is a leader that uh, I really admire. And one of my favorite quotes, it's funny because Lisa Peterson had the same one at a recent event. But, you know, if if there's no seat at the table, bring a folding chair. Because I really feel like that's, that's what we need to do. Like, you got to be loud. You got to get yourself to the table and you got to represent. But as we went around the table, Four out of the five kids talked about a family member that was their wow. a, a leader in their lives that they admired and why. And their their reasons were sort of incredible, but like very normal. Yeah. Like one kid was talking about his grandmother, how his grandmother keeps the family together. You know, they have drama and they have fights and the grandmother just always keeps them together. And that for him, that's the definition of leadership, right? You have these family discussions and and fights, but somebody's got to keep the peace and keeping everybody together. So I encouraged them all afterwards. You know, I, I went around and said, Do you, have you ever told these family members that they are the leader in your life that you admire? And if you haven't, I think it's worth saying that because it's important. It's imp- I would, I would love to know if my niece or my nephew or my grandson thought that I was an admirable leader. I mean, can you imagine how touched you would be? That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, another one. Amazing. <laughs> I, that is, that's great. And so important that they, they, that they, they said their family members. That yeah. is so touching. I was really shocked. Like I was ready for people to yeah. say like Barack Obama or Elizabeth Warren or like any number of, you know, Gandhi, any right. number of past or present. When I th- thought leaders, I thought like famous people. Yeah. You know, which is the route I took. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I, uh, I said Michelle Obama. Mm, good one. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, she's, Barack is her, you know, her husband, you know, but, you know, she's just such a, such a powerhouse. Her sense of humor, her self-confidence, her effective communication, you know, she has these attributes that I would, you know, I, I want to practice in my daily life. And she's also this amazing attorney. That's yeah. how she started. And so, um, I, my dream is to meet her one day. Oh, it'll happen. That's, oh my I, God. I don't send her it. this podcast. <laughs> Did you so? Did you see the video of her 
So there was that little girl who stood in front of her portrait at the portrait gallery and was mesmerized by it. And did you see the video yeah. of her meeting her? Yeah. Oh, like, who else would do that? I mean, nobody. Just, nobody. I, no one. That line was long at the portrait gallery. And I did Oh, get did you to go? I did. I took so many pictures of her. Was it incredible in person? It was beautiful. Beautiful. Did oh, you, my God. Did you go to Barack's? I did. Well? I went okay. to everyone. Yeah. But hers was had the longest line, I might add. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Well, the artist that did uh, Barack Obama's also had a portrait at the African-American Museum upstairs. Oh, really? Yeah. There was, there was a little art gallery upstairs. And it, I mean, her style, that style of painting is just incredible. So amazing. Yeah. Uh, so amazing. I'm going <laughs> to work on it next week. But anyway, who, who'd you say? Oh, I said Shirley Chisholm. Oh, duh. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, it was a great event. It was great to be there. I was there as a National Honor uh, Society. Oh, like you had two full <laughs> circle moments. Full circle. But we did it at MIT last time. So. Oh, okay. Thank so you it wasn't... to Harvard for the space. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, so one of the students in our share out today, I just want to share this with you because I think I'm going to take this with me going forward. One of the things she said was, failure builds the foundation for success. Mm. And I was... That's deep. So deep. That's very deep. And I'm going to move because I think sometimes you feel like failures are just failures, but no way. This this girl, senior in high school, knows it's about building the foundation of success. So We need to do a podcast episode on failures <laughs> and overshare to everyone. I have just so kidding. many. It would be so long. <laughs> it would take days to tape it. Anyway, but I do think you're right. That quote, I really, it, I felt it. And I think we it's hard to talk about failures it really is but I think the more we do the better it is for everyone yeah and one of the things I was the moderators had asked us to talk to the students about what our senior year in high school was like and what we felt was important and I was like oh god here we go because honestly my senior year in high school I told them I would never go back there for five million years it was so angsty and I by the way, it's like March something, and they are all waiting for their college acceptances or rejections, and so they're all a mess. They were all, I could tell today, just like everyone's like biting their nails, and it's just such an angsty time, and you, you think everyone has it together, and it turns out nobody had it together. So I was just trying to tell them that like, when I was in high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I never, it's not like I said, like, oh, I want to be a city counselor someday, or, and, and now here I am. You know, it's a Life is a circuitous journey, and if you can enjoy the ride and understand that sometimes failing means that then you get to do something else that's actually better, that's awesome. Yeah, and I think the more as elected officials we share about those experiences, Mm -hmm. the better. I told them, you know, life is not a linear path. You know, from my resume, it may seem, oh, you know, she went to Brown, and then she went to law school, and now she's a city counselor, but... Between that, there are many stories of failure, of a lot of things that happened in between that led me here. Uh, it was uh, it was really challenging. And so I was upfront with them that, uh, you know, it may not always work out the way it's supposed to be, but things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. And just like I was saying before, leaders for these, for a lot of these students are people they know. Right. So it's important to be honest, I think, with these folks these students just so they know like hey life isn't always going to work out like you thought but it's it's going to be okay yeah i i think uh it, it was a great session to have with them yeah and so 
you know, it's funny. There's so many, I feel like we're just talking about teens today because they're so prevalent in my mind right now because of the walkouts that happened yesterday and just watching the movement over, you know, the last 24 hours, just all the social media, watching all the videos, seeing those students really take this into their hands and really be making a difference. And yesterday was a snow day. I know. And they still went. Right? Yeah. I would have been in my pajamas. Watching TV. Totally. But here there were young people from Cambridge, from Boston, marching, going to the state house, making their voices heard. It's, I think we're witnessing something that we are going to look back on and say that was the moment yeah. that everything changed. I mean, I just saw before I was coming in here, I was just flying through Twitter and there's a story on New York Times that in contested districts, Republicans are actually embracing gun control laws. So that's incredible. I didn't think it would ever happen. So I think combined with the Pennsylvania election um, and the Republicans losing there, I think yes. there's there's a real fear out there. And I think that these kids, these students can capitalize on that fear and really positively affect change because I, I agree, you know, we cannot have one more school shooting. Yeah. And, you know, we can't wait on Washington at cannot. this moment. No. no. And these young people are doing what you know is so necessary and really important and really uh for the people who've uh you know for their legacies yeah and i so in dc cory booker spoke yeah which was actually a really um he was a really inspirational speaker i think it was we actually saw his stump speech Mm -hmm. because it was it was up there in the like emotional category but one of the things he said and you know it's a staggering statistics he said, you know, the Parkland shooting was a month ago, 17 students, you know, really gunned down in their own school. But since that day, there have been 500 victims of gun violence, 500 in a month. So this is this is a larger intersectional issue. And I hope that we can keep the momentum and people don't feel left out of this movement. I think having these students be so integrated with one another on social media, I think has really been effective in keeping them intersectional and integrated and moving and advancing this cause. Absolutely. It's time we demand action. It's time we demand action. And I love that these, these students are like, you guys get out of our way. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Let the students lead. Yes. Yes. So I really look, we, I'm looking forward to hearing more on just from young people in general. Definitely. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So I think that's our show for this week. Yeah. A lot of, you know, I hope this gives you energy for your weekend. Yes, <laughs> definitely. And we have, a, we have a city council meeting coming up this Monday where there are going to be some housing policy orders that we'll talk about. And, you know, it's Thursday, so all the policy orders are due in in about like tw- a, few minutes. a few minutes. So we should know soon and we'll talk about them next week. Yeah. See you soon. See you soon. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.